Bienvenidos al podcast de Latino Founder Hour. Each week we invite you to spend an in-depth hour with us as we speak with a Latino startup founder from somewhere around the world. Aquí conocerás esas historias de éxito y fracasos, retos personales y lecciones aprendidas. And we have fun. We're live every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific time. Tune in at startupradionetwork.com. O en versión podcast después del show. Escucha. Listen. Aprende. Learn. Y emprende. Launch. Bienvenidos al episodio 143 de Latino Founder Hour. Los saluda Edgar Navas, fundador de Clica. Y hoy de regreso tengo un amigo muy especial, Ángel Medina, empresario, startup founder. Este, ¿Cómo te puedo describir, Ángel? ¿Eh? Hombre de muchos. ¿Eh? No, driven. Sí, no, no, no. Driven. La, la no, neta que sí. Es una exageración. Creo que con nuestra cultura, esta pandemia ha mostrado mucho que si no trae el hustler en ti, And it just wasn't in you, right? And for us, it's been, for me at least personally, it's been an opportunity to figure out how to innovate and how to create certain uh, opportunities that just weren't there in the past. And it's actually kind of been, for for my business at least, it's been it's been a blessing for me because it's forced me to be creative and it's forced yeah. me to change the way that we were doing things. So, yeah. No, and I, and I want to focus on that because, you know, we spoke last year. Uh, yeah. And we were entering the pandemic. I was, you know, uh, I happened to be caught in Mexico while this happened. Right. So, you know, we were we were down there for a spring break on a on a two week uh, trip that ended up being two months. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we missed out on the uh, on the on the whole toilet paper scares. You yeah, know, yeah. Luckily, it was, I mean, for us it turned unplanned, but it turned out to be great right dentro de lo que cabe because you know we were down in in Riviera Maya and there was no one. By then, right. the Europeans were gone. So we got to see something that was like, man, you know, shit was happening back home and, you know, right. all this pandemic. And, and we're like, well, there's no one here. And in Mexico, was, it wasn't still uh, all over the place. So right. we got to have a you know good time because, you know, what? well, that was the last time I, I was with my family together, which we normally have Christmas together. And we, this year, obviously, we couldn't. But uh, Zoom. It was Zoom, yeah. We <laughs> Zoom it, FaceTime it, WhatsApp it. Right. You know, shout out to technology, but we made it happen. But so, so you know, the last time we spoke, you know, you were starting Reforma. You know, mm -hmm. you were going back to the to your roots and coffee. Uh, and, and what what has happened since? Well, a couple of things. Well, actually, a lot of things. Um, first of all, thank you for having me here again. It's uh, always a joy to, to chat mm -hmm. about business and chat about uh, our culture, projects, and things like that. And you know, it, it's it's. It's been one of those things where when it started, I, I mean, I think that we were talking about this. We had flipped places. I was living in Mexico full time. I had been yeah. spending my time uh, just dedicated to to just learning more from the from the people where coffee comes from, right? At least um, the producers, farmers, and anybody that's associated with that whole uh, the cycle of bringing us coffee. And it was a wonderful experience. I got to live in Mexico City for a while and, and travel from... Mexico City to everywhere, you know, from Oaxaca to Chiapas to Veracruz, uh, Puebla. Like it was, it was an incredible experience. But at the same time, I didn't. I when when this thing started happening here, I I started panicking about the business that I had back in in Portland, which was just one coffee shop. I had sold the yeah. others, and and at the same time, I said, I seen this thing just kind of like snowballing into something ugly and and i didn't see the same urgency from from our folks in the mexican government or anybody and 
I'm like, this, this is going to get scary. So I did what I thought was right, which is come back here. Uh, I laid low for a little bit for about three weeks and, and then I just got bored. So I started roasting again and, and I, I took it as an opportunity to roast coffee with a purpose, the way that we started. For those that know me, I started um, small time roasters as a way to raise proceeds and awareness for DACA recipients. In this case, uh, I noticed a lot of my friends back in Mexico, coffee shop owners, just they, they didn't have the same opportunities that we had here, right? Like uh, PPP took forever for a lot of people, but in Mexico, there was no PPP. There was no. Yeah. Um, there was no lifeline. Yeah. No, you're absolutely. on your own. Right. And it, and it was for me an opportunity that I had committed to buying some coffee. I roasted it and I just threw it out there. I said, hey, I'm, I, I wanted to build Reforma in what was supposed to be September this year, like a few months after. And that was the, the timeline, you know, but it kind of forced me to just push it early and raise that money and, and send it back to them. And, and then it, 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 it's not that I lost a passion, but it enlightened and it, it lit at something in me to want to continue roasting and focusing on everything that I had learned, right? Like all the, the lessons of um, speaking the language, um, meaning, you know, there's a lot of exaggeration as to what coffee roasters do for producers. But when you see it firsthand, when you see the difference between a coffee producer and a person who works in the fields, it's two different things. It's like the guy that owns the big house and the people that yeah. work for him. And, you know, it, 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 that part was really just just learning how that whole thing worked and, and saying, OK, when that has to change. So when I start roasting again, eventually in September, these are the things I'm going to focus on. And all that started early. We built our brand on that. Um, for the last uh, nine months, uh, we've had an entirely Mexican coffee selection, which is unheard of. And at the yeah. same time, it was one of those things where, um, you know, Mexican coffee, like wine, uh, is not known in, around the world for being incredible. And there's some great coffee, but there's also the stuff that's mass produced, that's produced. Correct. For, you know, no, and and that, that was going to ask you, because, you know, the common thing is like, well, the Colombian coffee, Brazilian right. And and, yeah, and, and 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 bias aside that you're Mexican, that we're Mexican, right. you know what what is it great about the what you found? Because I mean, yeah, not, you know, yeah. it just it just meant that I had to focus on on who I was selling to, and and at the same time, and I continue with this, um, I didn't want to serve a coffee that was was going to continue that 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 um, stereotype, right? Of like Mexican coffee is just average. Mm -hmm. I had to find what I consider to be some of the most uh, incredible unique. coffee that's coming yeah. from mexico while beating out like mexican roasters and importers that are importing some of the best stuff to europe or to korea or to japan right because those guys are paying top dollar um and to them it's just like like you a lot of people don't understand that there's a lot of coffee in mexico that's incredible but we just don't get to see it in the states because the states is such a it's such a uh it's set up with an infrastructure to sell to buy at a certain cost to never yeah. buy below that at a certain cost uh, point percentage or score. And that's like the market, right? Like you're going to sell pretty It's more cost conscious, wouldn't it be? Completely. Rather than, than, than Completely. extreme quality. Like, because, I mean, I, I remember, you know, prior to being married, I used to smoke, let's say, well, the cigars. Yeah, yeah. They're incredible Mexican cigars. Better yeah. than Cubans, I would say, you know. Yep. And I have it, a couple of boxes here. And that's amazing. That you still even have, that's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's like that, right? It's like... Yeah. Um, you know, Mexican coffee is not the best in the world, but it's not the worst in the world. And I would say um, for what we were focusing on, we were going to focus on just um, providing the most variety where you can taste something that was from one profile to another to another. And, and that was it. And, um, you know, we built this little by little, right? Um, it, 
we we started with Reforma and I kept La Perlita, which was just a quiet little sleepy coffee shop in the Pearl. And that was the only ties that I had. I was completely removed from Portland. And in my mind, I was like, this is where I'm going to not necessarily retire, but this is where I'm going to live. It's centrally located to everything that I love. And if I have to come back, I'll just jump on a flight and that's it. And and it's been quite the opposite. I'm back here, renting an apartment. Um, La Perlita became a cultural staple for any like BIPOC folks, Mexican-American kids. And we built on that, right? When in June, when, when my, um, my employee who I gave ownership of the company to when I left, um, he's like, Hey man, I want to reopen. Like, this is nuts. Uh, we should be reopened. And, and I was like, I, I don't know, dude, I don't know if I want to put you at risk. If you want to do it, I'll support you. I have this much money to lose because in my mind, I mean, it's not the idea is not to lose, but I just figure if we're going to, if we're going to go into this thing and, and keep in mind, La Perlita is in a, in a eco trust building, which is a, a massive building, but there's nobody in it. You should yeah. rely on everybody that works upstairs and downstairs. But everybody was gone. So there's absolutely no traffic. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, I set aside X amount of dollars in case we're like operating at a loss. But I'm not going to go out without at least try giving in a, a attempt. A run. To, to yeah. See. Yeah, completely. So we reopened and I said, you focus on on getting the space up and running and I'll focus on the marketing aspect of it. And that was it, man. Like you know, now I would say that for our setup, we're probably the most successful coffee shop in all of Portland. And part of that is because it's a small, tiny space. Uh, our operation cost is ridiculously low. And we, I mean, at one point, if you come in on a Saturday or a Sunday, it's not that we don't, we, we don't just have like long lines at the door, but it's the people that are in line. Uh, that it's just, it's just a lot of Spanish being spoken, a lot of brown kids, a lot of people with their families, with their parents, and it's something that you just don't see in Portland. We yeah. started building that with Kiosco years ago before I, I passed it on, but it was never to that level. It was never to the point where, you know, we, we did a lot of things uh, intentionally um, to, to appeal to that crowd. Like I, I, for me personally, I just don't market to anybody outside of that demographic. I'm grateful for anybody that's not a BIPOC uh, member of the community that's supporting us. And I'm incredibly grateful, but, this is not for them. I'm very specific with uh, yeah. the way that we speak, the way that we talk about our culture and the issues that we speak on, you know, we're very vocal. And, and that's been all the difference is that I didn't, I didn't try to make it look like everybody else. It really just feels like a Mexican joint in there. I mean, sometimes you walk in and you have like Chalino Sanchez playing in the background and it's like the first like alarm. We're like, what the hell? <laughs> Cause you're in the middle of the pearl. So yeah. you could imagine. So from that, um, the coffee uh, just kept selling a lot more than I had planned for. So it meant I had to commit to a lot more coffee. It meant that we had to continue growing our operations. Uh, and this and, is, I mean, tumultuous times. I mean, you're, you're, yeah. you're getting bigger commitments and we're still in the middle of this thing where, where there's a lot of uncertainties. And Oh my goodness, man. Yeah. You know, one of the things that really was concerning in the beginning was, uh, you know, on Sundays we started bringing, I started bringing in different vendors, like different, um, like, whether it was a pastry shop, uh, uh, hustlers, as I yeah. like to call them, uh, <laughs> it was just people that are just making stuff in like a, in a commissary kitchen and then bringing it on a Tuesday pop-ups. Right. And it started becoming so popular because every day was different. Um, where at one point Sprutch, which is the authority of writing about coffee, described it as the best pastry program in the country. 
So it started turning a lot of heads. People started writing about it. And eventually, uh, Laura Romero, one of the uh, few Mexican chefs here in Portland, um, started doing a pop-up on Sundays. He's a good friend of mine. It was just a okay. pop-up. And the pop up took off. How, how, how come? I mean, this is how disconnected I've been. You know, we were talking before the show started. I've been in, you know, working from home. Right. I had to move my stand up desk. You know, we try to set up our house. My, my wife also, you know, working from home permanently <laughs> right. now. And we're like so disconnected with what's happening outside, man. That like, I don't, I, you know, really? I, I don't know, you know what I, the store time is. Mean, that, that's, that's my haven, man. You're, you're speaking my language, man. The funny thing about it is that, like, I get really. I take offense to like when I hear there's a, a place that's that's like what I just described and yeah. I don't know about it because that means somebody wasn't doing their work, right? Like for me, if you are on social media in any way uh, and you're Mexican, Mexican-American or just a, a, a person that loves those things, I'm going to find a way to target ad market to you, right? Um, you're going to come up with an ad of, you know, cochinita pibil or tacotes or, you know, guaraches or any of that stuff that, that, that we've since uh, started doing, like, it's not that hard. So when I see it, I'm like, somebody's not like when I hear about a restaurant that it's in town and I'm like, why do I not know about this? I, I should be more connected. Somebody's not doing their job in the marketing department. And, you know, obviously some of these, some of these uh, setups are small, the way yeah, no, is. But, you know, I'm very intentional with that stuff. And, and I expect for, for like brown folks to like, it's some way, some, somehow this is going to get to you, whether it's you seeing it on somebody else's Instagram feed or I'm just sending it directly to your phone. You know, yeah. One way or another. And that's the beauty of technology. So uh, anyway. absolutely. No, no, no. So, sorry to the interruption, but I was just, I, I just heard it word torta and I was like, okay, you got it. Oh me. my goodness. So the tortas, the tortas became the foundation to everything because it got to a point where on Sundays I started to worry that, you know, we had lines around the block uh, and we're like, Oh shit. Like, I know we got something special. We, we made, and we made more money in that three month period than I ever did in one year for when I had all three shops before leaving. Oh, wow. And to the point of, uh, and a lot of things, right. My cost of operations was like yeah. minimal because at most, uh, when I started it was myself and Axel, my partner, And after that, I was like, dude, I got to focus on the marketing. I, I need to step away. You handle this shit. I got to roast. <laughs> and now it's just two kids that are just crushing it that uh, I think uh, when we did the math on it, it was like on Sundays, on weekends alone, they make a drink every 30 seconds. So uh, those are Starbucks numbers at that point, right? Wow. Um, okay. So That's pretty impressive. That's amazing. And again, we don't take any of the, the community for granted, but we also do a lot to, to say thank you, or at least as much as we can. Um, And that's all been the difference, man, is that like, I don't, I don't mess around with uh, trying to do something that is not ours. I don't try to sell it to a white audience. I don't try to market to them, but I been really fortunate that they've understood what our message is and that they've supported it. And if there was ever that's a time great. to do that, it's, it's this time. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was going to ask, you know, you know, after what happened, you know, with um, unfortunate events of last year, you know, we, we, we had, you know, more of an, an uprising and, and more awareness of, you know, Completely. BIPOC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and, and, but then we have riots in downtown Portland, which we, you're close, but not close enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a scary thing. I think if we would have been on the southwest side, we would not have the success. And we're eight blocks removed from all this stuff. And I've seen the way that it's affected everybody else. I've seen mm -hmm. 
some of those businesses shut down and and you know like i said we don't take any of that for granted we we're inside i mean we're a coffee shop inside of an atrium right and and the fact that we've been able to to just have our doors open has been huge but having that big space having the tall ceilings um and it's a big open space it, it gives people the the sense of like well at least if i'm getting coffee there's more breathing room and i don't feel there's, like it's I'm safe a, yeah. yeah yeah and not saying that that this is a reason why you should come support but like you def that's the feedback that we got from everybody it just feels better and then you walk out and you know you have the pearl you know yeah again there's such a there's such a contrast when you come in because it, it just doesn't none of it makes any sense it, you you the music the people that are working there the people that are attending and then you're in the pearl and you know i think i see like white people passing by like what the heck is going on in there i think it's a quinceanera <laughs> or something <laughs> I heard about these things. Yeah. Like at 8, 8 a.m. in the morning or 7 yeah, in the eight, morning. Yeah. yeah. They're like, what's going on? So, you know, it, it's, again, it's one of those, um, I don't know, man. Like, I, we, we, this is how we drew it up. We said, we're just going to, we're going to invest it all in, into this, uh, into this, uh, I wouldn't say a marketing strategy, but this is who we're going to focus on. Like, the messaging. So long, yeah. yeah, completely. The messaging, the imagery, everything, you know, the people that, I mean, we've been doing this from from day one. We just always catered it to a very like Portland audience, right? And we just stopped doing that. We're like, ah, screw that. So now, when you have folks showing up from like Forest Grove or like Eugene or Salem or in Washington, and they're telling you how excited they are that they seen it on Instagram last week and they came here, and I mean, you 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 have nothing but gratitude at that point. You're like, uh, here, take a bag of coffee or something. Like, I feel like I should pay for your gas at least. Or something. <laughs> you know, so. It's no, that is good. So, so, so you went from coffee, and, and uh, you know, you, you made this uh, partnership with you know one of the uh, most renowned che chefs in in town. Yeah. So, and, yeah, and how did, did you already knew him beforehand? Or yeah, yeah, Laura and I, okay. we uh, we were good friends, and we used to we used to have these like we used to we used to get together and drink and and complain about all the bad Mexican food in Portland, <laughs> and part of that was just that you know there's a there's a weird. It's a weird thing here with food, and maybe it's not just a Portland thing. Maybe it's just an American thing where you have two stretches of it. You have the very like terrible stuff that's just made for one particular audience, and that's cheap, affordable, and usually comes with like a spoonful of sour cream, right? And and it's not really a representation of Mexican food. It's bad products, yeah. and I just would never eat there. But there's folks that love that shit, so they build their entire imagery. And around that, you know, whether it's a logo with a sombrero or a skull or I don't know. Yeah, the bright colors and all right. that. Yeah. Yeah. And and then there's the the complete opposite of people that have opened restaurants here that have tried to sort of uh, uh, use like language that just I, I like it always. I always found it offensive and maybe I'm exaggerating, but like calling it um, elevated Mexican food where you're like elevated. Like, what, what is it? Yeah. And you look at the dish, you're like, OK, so you just added like kale to a quesadilla like that doesn't mean it's elevated right like you plated it different or things like yeah. that we're, we're in in the food costs just becomes a lot higher the audience that they're targeting to is very specifically white where i just would not take my parents there and i'm sure the the vibe is great but like it just wasn't our thing so we talked about it for so long and when we had the opportunity when laughing planet went out of business next to la perlita we looked at the space and this was like maybe mid-September. And I said, dude, we can do this, this, and this. It's, it's a very limited kitchen. It's all electric. Uh, 
So if you're a chef or a cook, you know how limited that is. Yeah. Um, but it was a great space and we had this like great momentum coming from Perlita and we said, screw it, let's take it. So uh, we put in an offer. We had 30 days to get it up and running. So we wow. did the entire, like we just redid everything. I dedicated my time to just making sure that it was up and running within 30 days and in 25 days we got it going. And that was October 28th when we opened and it's been amazing. And like, it's the write-ups have been incredible. The attention that it's gotten has been incredible. And it's just been on focusing again on things. And that's Republica. Republica, right. So if you go right now, Republica PDX, you can see uh, RepublicaPDX.com. You can see uh, our menu and you can see some of the stuff and, and what people are saying about it, or you can look it up and, you know, we've been the recipients of like, of good fortune in the sense that the people who, who love Mexican food, like, and, and I hate to call the other stuff not real Mexican food, but the people that, that can connect with tortillas hechas hermano, with dishes that are very regional to a particular city or state. Like, like what, yeah. what are you guys making? So we started with, uh, we, we wanted to create two menus, right? Because the idea was always prior to the shutdown or full shutdown of in-room in dining, um, it was to create one menu for the morning and a different experience at night. So in the morning, we yeah. were just doing guisados and tortas. So it was supposed to be homestyle cooking for those that are not familiar with guisados. So uh, dishes like pollo enchilado, cochinita pibil, hongos um, uh, adobados, things like that. And the same kind of feeling that if you went to a market in Mexico uh, and you walked in, you just you don't really have a lot of choices. There's not a big menu. Just do that. Yeah. And do that with the tortas, and that was it. And in the evening, we were just going to be chill. It was going to be focusing on on Mexican, Mexican American wines, okay. uh, POC produced, and women wines, and that was it. Like limited, focus on Mexican, uh, Mexican American produced beers because you're limited to what you can bring from Mexico. But you know, there's certain rules that we have in place that we just don't, you know, we don't publicly announce. But you won't find Tecate Modelo or any of that stuff in in the restaurant. You won't find Anything that's like a, a super kind of commercial being offered. Yeah, completely. Yeah. I mean, things that, that, like if somebody walks in and asks for a burrito, we, we're just like, I'm sorry. Like, we don't, we don't, we don't make those things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, what the hell's a burrito? Like, no. Yeah. We, yeah. Go, but go, you know go. what I mean? It, it's <laughs> yeah. like, you know that you're committing to losing money or not making that money, but we have so much great food that like, to to make the stuff that everybody else is making i just tell them like dude just go down the street like there's a mexican restaurant around the corner or yeah, they, they can wrap you that completely thing yeah. yeah yeah or like you want a margarita we don't have margaritas i'm sorry like you could have a mezcal flight uh so yeah. it's it's things like that that i think um not to be and, and i hate to sound so um um elitist on this thing because it's quite the opposite i mean we strip down our dishes to focus on like the things that are essential, which is corn and building our entire menu around it. So from memelas, quesadillas oaxaqueñas, lacoyos, um, everything that's, that surrounds um, different regions, you know, memelas, veracruzanas, lacoyos poblanos, quesadillas oaxaqueñas, pastes hidalguenses. These are all things that mean something or mean a lot to, to people from those specific regions. And to do it right, you have to do it with yeah. the way that it's served there. So if you're going to serve a quesadilla oaxaqueña, it better be made with what with queso Oaxaca. Queso Oaxaca and, real. Exactamente. Yeah. And then served on the side with salsa matcha. This is the same way that you would have it in Oaxaca, from the color to the shape to everything. Like you can't, you know. Now and and and, 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 and I know you're marketing to, to 
to, to certain demographics, but have you getting you know more acceptance? Because I, you know one, one thing that I like about Portland is that people are really not not only willing to explore, but they want to. They right. want to try the, the real stuff. I'm like, hey, you know, give me give me the give me the real deal. Right. I may not like it, lingua, but but I do. And and the, the the places that do, they thrive. Yeah, and that's exactly what we've done. You know, we we started with the with that limited menu, and we just keep adding to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, focused on on not necessarily trying to make something better, just trying to make it right is the most important part. Um, you know, we're not trying to 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 play things in a way where we start adding things that like just didn't belong there. You know, I seen somebody's pozole yeah. um, offering the other day and it's like a $28 pozole. I'm not going to say who, uh, but it blew my mind just on the cost, right? Not that food, our food should never be cheap by any means, but you look at the ingredients, you're like, okay, there's like tortilla chips in this thing. It's, there's like a uh, cilantro in it. And you're like, what the, what is it's, it? It's just a stew. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a stew. And to, to, you know, I'm sure they're using incredible meats, but it just was something that like, I, I don't understand. Like I have so much in our staff and, and a lot of this is, is Lauro and, and Chef Olivia that we have so much respect to our culture and the way that things are made by region that we would never try to make that different in any way or, or you know, start adding, you know, Thai basil or anything like that that just doesn't belong to it. You know? Correct. Um, and that's, a, that's like the biggest uh, difference between what we do and what everybody else is doing is that we don't feel like we have to overcompensate either by changing the ingredients or changing the language around our food and calling it something that it's, that it's not. It isn't. Yeah. Right. It's not elegant Mexican. It's not upscale. It's not elevated. It's just Mexican food. We don't call, we don't use the word street tacos or any of that shit. Like street food is, is such a joke to me because I'm like, this is regular food. The fact that it's served in the streets in Mexico, has uh, to yeah, exactly. they, they lack regulations and shit. Right. Like, <laughs> like, or, or, yeah, for, or yeah. Yeah. Fonditas are amazing. I wouldn't say they're on the street, maybe sidewalk food, but, you know, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, in Mexico, there's no distinction between tacos. Calle, I mean, it's just a taco beer, mm-hmm. whether it's a stand on the street or, or a hole in the wall exactly. or, or a nice, right? It's just plain taco. That's but it. Again, I mean, I think it's, it's just a, it's the understanding of, of our culture. And, and then you also got to spend the time there. I don't think, you know, I've, I spent the last eight months and I grew up in Mexico and, and my parents are both Mexican. It's mi primera lengua. Así es que para mí, if you haven't lived there enough, if you haven't truly experienced that, you can't really, you can't really make something to try to make it better, whether it's pan dulce or a particular dish. Um, yes, there's things that are really terrible about the way pan dulce is made, uh, yeah. you know, with lard and hydrogenated oil and shit. But it's also beautiful in the same way that it's just so delicious. So you can you can change it, you can make it better. But the the minute you start getting too far away from it. And calling it gourmet or calling it handcrafted or artisan like, lost me. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. Absolutely. I, I agree. I mean, I, I don't want anything, like you said, elevator with those fancy words. It's like, dude, you just give me the real stuff. That's, that's it. That's all I want. Because it takes me back to where I belong. Yeah. And that's that's the idea. You know, you you walk in, you 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 get your food, you hear the music, and the whole thing is supposed to be an attack on your senses, whether it's the smell, the sounds that's being made. Or you know, just uh, Doña Chapis, uh, who makes our just like the tortillitas and yeah, Amanu. So that, that's what I was. That was what I was going to ask next. You know, what part? You know, we're talking about experiences more than product. And like you have the music, you know, right. Chalino, whoever it is in the background. Right, right. You have a nice setting. What else do you provide? You know, to the users. Like, look, especially right now with the restrictions. You know, we can't be sitting down there. Right. How do you try to create some sort of experience for the user? 
Yeah, that's a tough one. You know, when we opened, when we designed the space, um, I made sure that I built enough small tables away from everybody, um, mm. even separated by glass, because we're like, we're not going to work in this patio situation. I don't like the patios. I don't think it solves anything to be inside of a tent. It's the same thing. It's just, it's the same, yeah. So, you know, we, we enjoyed it for about three weeks and, and it was wonderful to have that, that table service, but you know, it, when, when the mandate happened, we had to get creative. So we had to launch our online menu and it meant that our lunch had to become our, like, we, it went from being a place where you were going to come, hang out, have uh, antojitos, um, have yep. cosas para picar and, and drink wine and, and have a cheese board and, and beautiful dessert to like, this needs to be a full on like restaurant from, from start to finish. That's the only way we're going to survive. So, um, yeah, we, we, we basically started doing combo meals for a lot of this stuff. And, you know, you can get combo A, which is going to come with this things and this, this and this things or combo B with this. Or you could just pick combo C, tell us how much you want to spend between 48, 68, or 75 or something. And we'll just throw a bunch of food together and give you a little extra. I see. And yeah, call yeah. that um, um, dinner at a Mexican household. Or, yeah, um, guests at a Mexican household. And it's one of the combos that's the most popular because people don't have to think about anything. They're just saying, here's 75 bucks. Right. Here's take my money. Take my you money. Feed yeah. me. Yeah. Right. And it's in, in, again, creating the experience that you were going to have if you went to, you know, you know, when we go visit our families back in Mexico, it's very much that where you're just like, dude, I'm not hungry. Like, stop giving me this stuff. Right. Yeah. So it's a lot <laughs> of that. And, and that's the thing that we wanted to recreate. So with that has to come the storytelling and it has to come with the, 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 all the random shit that like, you know, we, we have our menu. So you have to add something that just didn't like, you're like, what's, how did I end up with like uh, a cheese board on my, on my dinner? Like this is, this yeah. is not Mexican, but like, these are the things that our, our culture does, right. That like, they just give you whatever they have in your fridge. In the fridge. Know? Yeah. And we make it presentable tasty yeah and, and, and i mean and how, how many times when you when you showed up back in your at your family's house whether it's by surprise or something you always have like the elder or somebody's grandmother or mother saying to the to the little ones hey go to the store go buy this this and this because you have guests yeah. like yeah. i had to do the soda runs all the time i, 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 I did i did too you know yeah, what i mean I like oh yeah yeah, yeah tortillas, quesos, y, y, and then like she just like throw some shit together and that's that's the experience that we're trying to replicate. So when we do that though, you know, we start with, uh, for me, from a marketing perspective, it started with just a young, uh, Mexican Latinx, Mexican American, um, Brown kids marketing to them, making it so that they, you know, there's so many of them that are just trying to hold on to grasp a, a piece of culture, right. To, to yeah. understand better because a lot of them haven't been as fortunate as you and I have where we live there, where we travel, so you, you get it to them as close as you can. And, you know, you start with them and then a week later they show up with mom, dad, and grandma. And that's been, the, I mean, that's been the strategy. And, and I wouldn't say it's a strategy. It's just the path that it's followed. Yeah. Right. So absolutely. If you no, can, that, that's part, them, it, it, it is part of creating, you know, gra you know, like you said, grasping into that identity. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's funny is that like when that happens, parents always show up skeptical, like they show up almost like, yeah, yeah. I, I can see them, the mom and yeah, dad. Yeah, it's exactly like, that. It's mm, that stance and everything like... Vamos ah, a ver si es cierto. A ver, pues oh. tienen quesadillas, a ver, hágame una. You're like, <laughs> all right, we're making some. 
Yeah. Like they walk over to the tortillas and they see them and they're like, oh, they're, like hey. hmm. they're looking Así. for the maseca sack, you know, and we're like, no, we don't have that stuff. Yeah, no, no, puro nixtamal aquí. Puro nixtamal, exactamente. Yeah, so, you know, so uh, once like you see their attitude change, you're like, okay, we're doing it right. And and that's been the thing, dude. And and again, not saying that that's our entire audience, but that's, I mean, that's where our credibility lies. Yeah, no, and, and, and you know what, that, that's why, you know, I'm super surprised uh, and, and and thankful that you're here telling us these stories because we, you know, in the past couple of months, we've heard the stories of people just like, man, I don't know what to do. You know, uh, you, you know, we, we yeah. have the shutdown. It's now extended at least here in the county in Portland uh, through March, through right. the end of March. So a, a lot of people are like, I, I think this is it. And, and now, you know, you have this storage, you know, that we need to celebrate more and more. It's like, look, you can not only grow, reinvent yourself and yeah. thrive, right. survive and thrive. Because I mean, once once we're out of this, you know, you're going to be in an incredible position. So this is a, I don't know if you could see this, but this was like the, I wrote this like back in September when we started uh, opening, like yeah. month one, two, three, it's just survive and tell the story. That, that was the most important part. If you can yes. do that part right, if you can just like hold on and share your story, then, then that was it. And I thought that like, forget like doing too many things or growing or innovating, forget that, like just make sure that you're long, you're around long enough to, to tell the story. And so far it's been that and more, you know, it's hard for me to relate to, to some of these folks that, that are struggling, not saying that their, their claims aren't valid, but it honestly, when I, when I could only, when I see the things that are directly related to me, when I hear about other coffee roasters or coffee shops, it's hard for me to, to relate to them because again, they, they, they didn't pivot fast enough or they didn't, whatever it was, right? Like yeah. for us, it just meant that we had to be really creative and I'm grateful for it. And I almost to the point where I have to take a step back and be like, you know, just, you know, say something nice. You know, like I, it, <laughs> I don't, I can't relate to it because it just meant that we had to work harder. And, and I see that so many, this is a story that's very common with a lot of people. I'm not saying that those people aren't working hard enough. It just means that, you know, because we were always undersourced, under or under resourced, I should say, underfunded and under mentored. When this thing came around to some of us, we just kicked into instincts, right? Um, we didn't yeah. really have a, a safety net or a backup plan. It just meant that we were just going to have to get creative. And to see that ingenuity coming from other entrepreneurs and, and whether in my industry or outside of it, and just seeing them thrive during this period, it's, it's wonderful. I can relate to that. But to, you know, when I started seeing some some restaurateurs just being like, now nah, we're shutting down. You know, screw that. Like this is this is it. Like this is not fair. Yeah. And we're like, dude, I know that sucks. You know, Pop Pop closing to me was huge because I just didn't understand. I'm like, I how much staff did you? I mean, I don't know. I, it's a whole different. I don't want yeah. to sound. I don't want to sound selfish or or greedy in any way. But it was just. It's a. We are a testament of resilience to our own culture and and to our own like community of of what we're capable of as brown folks. Um, and again, I, I don't speak for everybody, but I do speak for a lot that have been in the same position that just been hustling the entire time. It hasn't been easy. We, I, I haven't taken a break. I think I took a break on 4th of July and on Christmas, and that's been it. I've been working every day, but I know that the end result is what matters. And it's always been that state of mind for you to keep going. So. Yeah, keep hustling, and and it's been the same for us. I mean, we, we know we worked, you know, twenty twenty. We were probably twice as much as twenty nineteen, and not like twenty nineteen. We didn't work; we we did, but we just had to survive, and then come ahead. And I think yeah. we're in a good position to, you know, 20, make twenty twenty one. You know, well, p pandemic aside, 
you know, we will see what, whatever it comes, you know, in, in the health department, <laughs> you know, we're, we're just going to, we're going to make it happen. You know, to me, I think the scarier part is like, what if it just like, when it goes back to normal, people are like, all right, I'm done with Perlita. This was like a, we were just a fling, you know, but we think about that. I think about that a lot, but I mean, I also think about the other side of it. Like, what if you just blow up? Are we going to be set up for it? Are we going to be able to, to scale that fast? And, and if 2021 or if 2020 was just about surviving that period, 2021 for me personally and for my team, I guess, it's about scaling responsibly and doing all the things to get to the next level. And, and you know, for me personally, I have five other different projects that I'm working on that, that'll keep me busy. I take a step back from all the day-to-day stuff, uh, which I have successfully from the restaurant, from the coffee shop. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm there all the time, but I'm not necessarily inside you know, you're not going to find me behind the kitchen unless I'm eating something that I'm not supposed to, but I'm not going to be working because I, I have too much respect for those guys because they, they, they do their job and they don't need me there. And the same with the coffee shop, you know, I'll, I'll walk by and I'll complain about something like I always do, but those guys got under control. And, and that's the thing is to create systems and have them in place so that moving forward, um, I'm not needed as much as I am. And those guys don't really need me at this point. I'm just a, I'm just there to complain about it. <laughs> so, so you're the, the the mastermind behind that, and then you just leave it on, and then go into the next. So, what's next? Uh, what, yeah. What's the next step? I mean, I don't know if I'm the. I think I'm just a. You know, it's a lot easier right now that that we've proven ourselves in some way, in some capacity. I, I'll be honest. I've um, I have a lot more interest from people wanting to to take on projects, but for me, I have a commitment to to Lauro and to Olivia. Uh, we started. Uh, clandestino hospitality and our idea was just oh. to keep opening more and more um i wouldn't say restaurants but just to keep looking for opportunities 24 yeah. 7 where if we see something that makes sense and we're going to jump on it and now that we have a system in place for for republica and somehow in some way um we can replicate that or at least we have a, a proven we have some data. We know how much it's going to take to do X amount of things because we've done it in the shop, right? Like So now it's just replicability and just like doing it in it. different, yeah. So from the food side, it's going to keep going. You know, you're going to start seeing a lot more of this stuff. And the way that we operate is, is or at least the way that I, my brain operates is that I move pretty fast. Republica, most restaurateurs don't open a restaurant in, in 20, 25 days, I think is what, from the day we got the keys to the day we got wow. everything. And in... And it's not like we, I mean, we did a full build out. So we move fast and, and there's a whole system in place for that. So it's going to be the same with everything we do on the 20th, I'll, um, which was the anniversary when I started Small Time Roasters, the inauguration of this new uh, administration. Uh, I'll make a few announcements uh, personally about the projects I'm working on. And just to give you, because I don't think this will air until after that, but um I started working with, uh, I started just building my own creative team, uh, okay. meaning taking everything from design to photography and me focusing on the storytelling. And, and that's going to be like the thing that, that makes everything else happen. Like I, I know when, when I put out, when I take a beautiful picture of a dish for Republica and I put it on Instagram at 11, that that's going to be the most popular dish by seven o'clock, right? Like see the effect, yeah. the cost and effect directly. So um, knowing these things and knowing that the marketing part is happening, knowing how to reach those audiences, it makes it easy for me to just create my own team and do it so that I can continue building business around, well, around the, the branding, the creative and the ads. 
And, and that's going to be the thing that, that is going to be the, the, I guess, I want to say the nucleus, but it's going to be the thing that drives everything because without having that storytelling in place, a photography, you can't make any of these things successful. You cannot grow an audience. Yeah. So, so, you so know, we, we, we go back to the source that this is all about storytelling. Completely. And, you know, not that long ago, we, you know, a couple of months ago, we have Charlie Vasquez um, and, and it was a, an episode. I can't remember the episode number, but we had Charlie Vasquez, a master storyteller. That's what he does, um, you know, as his company. I'm, I'm actually startups. writing down the, the, the name so I can. No, I'll, I'll make an it. intro because he's a fantastic person. He's um, he's out of uh, Brooklyn, New York. Nice. super wicked smart and we you know that's that's exactly what he does and i remember you're like look if you want to succeed whether you're raising money or whether you're selling your product or you're especially marketing this is what you need. this is what sells your right. story you're, yep. you're not, not not a piece of whatever you know not a torn down no it's like exactly. how do you present that like how do you connect with the user right. same if you're raising funds it's like how do you connect with that person to give you a check for x amount of dollars right and 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 it's so so funny you say that because i i have somebody reach out to me and they sent me like i wouldn't say it's unsolicited they were like hey man i want to talk to you about this business and they sent me their business plan it was like a page and a half and it was just using a lot of like descriptive words and a lot of uh modifiers to like we're going to create the number one brand and blah, and you're like how like like yeah. you can't just say these things. Like we're creating our master crafter artisan. Like these are all like just big words. Like show me what show you want at this point and how, right? Yeah. Um, and I'll be more interested, and then I'll tell you if I can invest in that or not. But you know, with with the stuff that we have going on, everything revolves around telling the story. So our creative group, Ciencia y Ficción. Uh, which is what we're calling it, because that's really what it is that we do. There's a little bit of science, and there's a lot of fiction in the storytelling. So Ciencia Ficción is what we're running with. And, and around it, we're building all my business, the umbrella of it, uh, doing a lot of outreach to other businesses that are BIPOC-owned that I just do not understand um, how to really present themselves to the public, um, which is yeah. one of the things that I'm most asked. Like, how is it that you're, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of, like, brown dudes, or brown people, I should say, that own business here in Portland and around Portland, but they all like, you wouldn't know it because they just market to a very specific uh, group and they do it with the voice that just isn't there. So a lot of this stuff from the imagery to, to, to the um, copy has to come from somebody that understands it, understands our culture. And I think that's a good opportunity for us to move in, especially if I could point at the things that we've done. Right. So if I can, instead of us having to go out there or having them reach out to us, we can just find those that we feel like would be a great fit. We could work with them and be able to build that catalog. That's the strategy going into 2021 and having everybody in line uh, and eventually getting to a point where we're taking on bigger campaigns and bigger things yeah. because we've proven that we know this better than uh, a white um, brand agency or a creative agency. So that's that's like the the biggest one driving from there, you know, Muertos de Hambre, which is our, our T-shirt company. Um, <laughs> that's another one. And, and again, all based on idioms and Muerto de Hambre is, you know what that means. Uh, yeah. It's, it's like you, you show up to your friend's house and like the first thing you do is like you're looking for food and you put the fridge. Yeah. Yeah. Con like, confianza. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so but for us, like uh, for, for our community, for the young kids these kids are hungry. Like they want more and they yeah. want to, they want to accomplish more than, than their, their parents did. And, and they're hustling. And I, and I appreciate that. And, 
and so we're creating a brand entirely built around them, right? And it'll be something small, but there's a solid investment. Creative work is done, and we'll launch that on the 20th. Uh, Alta Fidelidad, which is uh, basically um, our own wine label company, which will work a lot like a record company where we'll take on on different wine makers here in, in the Pacific Northwest that are um, some sort of BIPOC or women-owned and put them under the same way that you set up a record label where you do a two, three bottle deal and tie it to music and then tie it to telling their story. Again, you can do that when you have the brand and creative behind it that's doing it 24 seven and a formula to execute it. Uh, Obviously uh, the brewing company, I think, I don't know if I told you, but working on the brewing company um, and we'll make that announcement on the 20th, La Esperanza Brewing Company, which will be the first Mexican American brewing company in Portland. And yeah, I think that's pretty much uh, wraps up all the projects that I have in hand. There's a bunch of ideas and stuff that like the more we run through it, the more I'm like, yeah, it's a bad idea. Like, don't worry about that right now. But yeah, it, it, it's really more than anything about creating more opportunities and, and telling more of our story. And that's what it all ties back to. That's phenomenal, man. So, so, you know, in the intro, it was just like, no, it should be an angel, you know, creative, but, but it, it's more, you know, now you're getting also into, um, you know, just being a house, you know, uh, of yeah. inspiration. I hope so. You know, that's, you that's know, how we describe it right now after the this episode. I will, I will say that like, and, and, and I mean this because some of the people that I help and, and mentor in my own time, um, they, they like, I, I keep that shit in the low because it's just not worth like putting out like, Hey, I'm doing this, but which I'm doing right now. But I spend a lot of my off time just having these conversations with like young, whether it's young roasters or young business owners and people that, that are like me, you, you know, the last time we talked, I mentioned is that the, the biggest problem with our community is being undercapitalized, under-resourced and under-mentored. And if yeah. I can help with two of those three, then that's great. Um, and Shit, even with really, one, yeah. Any, yeah, any help, one. yeah. I would, yeah. I would have gladly, you know, I would have gladly taken that opportunity from anybody. If I could reach out to somebody and say, Hey man, like I'm trying to figure out how to do my taxes on, on this business. Like, I mean, that's a whole topic within itself, right? And, and what we should be doing and what we shouldn't be doing. I, I don't have all the answers, but I have a young accountant that does, you know? And, yeah. and anytime I have a question or I have a stupid idea, uh, I run it by him and he tells me that's a stupid idea or like, oh, it's worth exploring. <laughs> but it's yeah. a very, like, it, it helps me get to a point where I'm either going to continue down that path or I'm going to be told to like, hey, focus back on whatever it is. On this, so yeah, just keep yeah. the... Keep that path. Well, and until it. then, and and so you have an umbrella company. Where, where can we follow all of these? Um, I think the the best part. Um, you can follow me directly if you're on Instagram. I'm. I'm I become. Uh, I I put a lot of myself out there, meaning um, from the business to some of the stories and some of the things that I've experienced as a business owner over the last three years. Um, to you know, you can follow my person, my my business accounts or Publica PDX also on Instagram, La Perlita PDX, um, and Reforma Roasters, um, which are, just look them up like that on Instagram, you'll be able to find that. And then from there, you'll be able to say like, okay, yeah, this is legit, or this is, this guy's full of shit, you know, but I think, <laughs> no, I, I think, think you're, you're solid. Yeah. Man, I appreciate I'll vouch. It. Yeah. Appreciate it. I'll vouch you for still, you, man. You still got to come and get some food though. I, I am. I, not, not that I know, not that I know where it is, man. Yeah, and now that I know it's torta time. It, it is, yeah, that's right. So, I mean, and, and that was, 
I mean, that's a topic as well I mean, with myself. We want to take on and make the best tortas. Do that first before you think about it. And, and I want a t-shirt that says, this body made by tortas. We'll put it on a uh, back order with Simeon Alexito Papi. Andale. Those are coming as well. Para ponernos chuletones. Ángel. Man, love having you here and love, you know, hearing all the successes and, you know, again, you know, amidst, you know, the, the, the pandemic and, you know, congrats on, on all the, everything that you're doing, man. And Thank it, you, brother. You know, you, we, we need more people like you here and, you know, not, not only just to inspire, but to do, to well, create all these things and, uh, you know, in, we need in to turbulent times. People. Yeah. You know, like they're, they're out there. We just have to. We just need to reach out to Get them. all in the room and, and, you know, get the story right. Yeah, man. well, soon, so soon, soon we'll get together, man. You know, once or we're outdoor, out of this, or outdoor, yeah, in, in, in an open space. <laughs> There you go, six feet apart. Hermano, Hermano, Hermano. Te mando un saludo. Muchísimas gracias. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.